this week on Dig Me Out. Jay, this week we're back with another one, our second listener poll. This is where we put up a poll on Patreon based on 10 suggestions that we got through our website. And we did one for June. This one's for, well, the poll was in June and then we post the episode in July. This was the July poll and it's obviously posting in August. So 10 picks, Jay. Going into this, we're gonna. I'm gonna explain what they were. But did you have one that you thought, oh, this is definitely gonna win? I thought this one would do well because I, we can kind of judge by the comments that you get. This mm-hmm. one, when we posted it uh, in the build up to the vote, it got a lot of good comments. Actually, there are nine nine episodes, not mm-hmm. ten. I'm sorry. So or, or nine albums. I think the Posies was probably the best known, right? Maybe Snot. Yeah. I didn't it's know it's not. I thought I thought uh Lifter would be the one that uh was mm-hmm. more was after the posies and Verbena were the was the most recognizable name, but also I get them confused with Lifter Puller. Yeah, I did too. So but here I think Snot well Poster Children the... was included as well. People know Poster That's Children. That's true. That's true. But I think Snot got the most feedback. There was a lot of people that left comments on that that one when it when it went up and Well on Facebook. Yeah, well, Not you kind of see the difference, right? Right. Patreon That's crowd has a different attitude when it came to snot. That's right. So these were our, these were the picks that people had made. They had submitted them through our website at digmeoutpodcast dot com. They were Snake Farm songs for my funeral, Verbena into the pink, the Posies frosting on the beater, the Cunninghams zeroed out, snot get some lifter, Melinda everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. The Clouds, Penny Century, Poster Children, RTFM, and Nature's Nature. So I was kind of pulling for The Clouds. I'm curious to check that record out. Yeah, people have brought that up to us before and said, hey, you guys should definitely check this out either through like email or Facebook messages. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, when we put the uh, submittal box on the website somebody did submit it unfortunately it did not win but maybe someone like with our recent far episode maybe someone will rescue it and turn it into an episode but jay here's what's important we got a winner we have about 40 patrons i think is that right well let's see 24 29 39 40, 46 patrons at this point. We got 37 votes. So that's pretty good turnout, Jay. That's better than our national elections. We got about 70% turnout, I think, in that range. So can't can't complain about that. The winner, Verbena's Into the Pink. Just edging out the Posies Frosting on the Beater by two votes. And in fact, they were the only ones to get double-digit votes. So it was a pretty neck-and-neck race between those two 
There were no uh, strong contenders attempting to knock them out. The Clouds were the third vote-getter with seven, but uh, Posey's and Verbena were the top vote-getters, and Verbena's Into the Pink won. Now, Jay, you were familiar with Verbena prior to this, correct? Yeah, I remember... um... I don't know, do we play with them or I remember them playing a show and I remember some buzz about this rock, this album when it came out. Yes. So I have the answer to that. There you go. The answer is we saw them live. Okay. They, they played at Little Brothers in Columbus, Ohio, almost 19 years to the day. So August 13th, 1999. And I know this because I wrote up a little review on my website, uh, timminichi.com. Oh, okay. And it, go- and it goes like this. It's very short. It says, Verbena was supposed to be the next Nirvana. They weren't. I mean, they were loud. Someone had bleached blonde hair, I think. Their songs were aggressive yet melodic, but they lacked something that puts bands over the top from being merely okay to undeniably good. Verme- Verbena was merely okay, and that's all I have to say about that. I wrote that in 2012. Has my, has my thoughts changed, or have my thoughts changed? You wrote that in 2012. Yeah, well, I I did what were called retro concert reviews. So I didn't write reviews of concerts back in 99 because there was no blogger or, you know, I I wasn't using blogger back in 1999. So when I launched my website back in like the early 2010s, I started writing concert reviews for things that I went and saw in the past, as well as what I was seeing currently. So I wrote that review in 2012. Okay. And I had not listened to Verbena since then. So this was the first time. It's probably the first time I've listened to that record since it came out in 99. I don't remember ever owning it, but back in 99, there were other ways to listen to music. If you true. know what I mean? Yeah, no, I don't think I ever heard the record. Until now, though, right? You did listen to it for the show. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. I do the bare minimum. You do the bare minimum, and that's all <laughs> people ask, Jay. I show up and listen to the sh- record. You listen to a record. You get oh, your thoughts on it. that's not true. I've got <laughs> lots of notes here. I also posted a. Uh, I saw I uh, the take from. So I, I'm funny, you know, interesting that for a lot, the majority of these records that we review, when you Google the band and the record, you, you usually get two reviews if you're lucky, sometimes one, sometimes none. Right. You get one from Pitchfork and you get one from All Music. So I posted the Pitchfork uh, quote, I guess, a quote from the P- Pitchfork review, which was, Verbena deserves no more credit for reviving rock than Kurt Cobain's shotgun should garner for killing it. <laughs> that was how they ended the review. So obviously, there's a lot of, uh, I remember a lot of um, Nirvana comparison at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I'll just say that... Um, there was quite a bit of marketing around this record. And I think that review seems to be, which which some of a lot of these reviews end up being, they become more of a reaction to the marketing than they do to the actual album itself in terms of the expectations that are set by overzealous, you know, PR people and and business folks whose job it is to sell the record. Um, it, it doesn't always help, uh, some of these records get um, considered in the way they probably should be. And then right. when you put 30 or 25 or 20 years on top of that, uh, it's not always the greatest way to remember what a record was supposed to be about. So, Right. If you go to their Wikipedia page and you want to, you can look at reviews that way. 
the only way to read the like Rolling Stone review is through the web archive because it's not on Rolling Stone's website anymore. So if you actually Googled it, it wouldn't come up because Rolling Stone doesn't host that review anymore. Right, right. So you can find the Entertainment Weekly review and like you mentioned, all music. I did. I have not seen the full Pitchfork review and Robert Christo, the esteemed music journalist, simply gave a, a frowny face. <laughs> Great. So he weighed in with his. That's, deep that's thoughts. helpful. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Robert Christo. Jay, we should get to some of the comments that we got over at yep. Patreon.com. That's Patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Some of the people who mentioned Verbena, I'm going to start with them. Scott Witt said, I choose Verbena. I seem to remember it being good. Plus, I like the album cover. Anything up snot, they had some hype behind them but that horrible name kept me from giving a crap so apparently he did not like the name snot whereas some other people mentioned that because of the album cover they thought they wanted to check it out so deeply dividing album cover with the snot record frank garcia hell the verbena album has some great tracks on it as a whole it has some weak spots and i can feel a little re- and it can feel a little redundant but i have a soft spot for it i can predict it getting a better ep vote Baby Got Shot was a standout and had a cool video. Also, the band got a lot of buzz since Dave Grohl produced it, given the garage and rock resurgence that happened a few years after the release. I feel this. I felt this album came out at the wrong time. If bands like The Vines and Jet got airplay, this band certainly would have gotten some love. For some reason, you can't find this album on Spotify, but you can listen to the album before it, Souls for Sale. They had an album that came out in 2003 that had some pretty good tracks on it as well. And felt a little more Queens of the Stone Agey. And then Andrew O.C. says, I love that Verbena record. Nirvana comparisons are appropriate. If this album released just a few years earlier, it could have been huge. And uh, singer A.A. Bondi still performs solo. I think this album is Verbena at their best. But La Musica Negra is also very solid. Johnny Hooper, Verbena, please. Great band and good record, but I really feel we should be talking about their first full-length souls for sale instead the first record is much more indebted to the blues rock indie rock vibe whereas the dave gold produced major label debut sounds like a band chasing that nirvana sound into the pick also pink also really misses the vocal contributions and female dynamics of Anne marie griffin another element that made souls for sale and the pilot park ep such rewarding listens Keith Sawyer, I'm another big fan of Verbena, especially Souls for Sale, which is my favorite album of 1997. Dave Grohl was also impressed with Souls for Sale as he recruited the band to open for the Foo Fighters, eventually getting them signed to Capitol, and the resulting album into the pick unfortunately sounds like a dated Nirvana ripoff. It's at least five years too late in 1999. There are germs of the signature Verbena 70s classic rock meets 90s raw garage sound, but the edges have been sanded here. The band's not-so-secret weapon, Anne-Marie, is very subdued. Their two-guitar attack should have never been messed with, and her wonderful backing vocals lack their typical character. Thanks, production mix. They lost her after this one, and while the follow-up is a better effort, Verbena knew we would never recover from this major label excursion. And then Steven Zinski said, I gave the Verbena record a spin, and I, uh, when it got brought up on Facebook, and while I enjoyed it for the most part, I gotta say, what a strange... Song choice for an album opener. We'll discuss that. And then uh, Scott 
Holgram says, I have the Verbena album and I don't care for it. Maybe you guys can help figure out what the deal is. Please, God, no posies. Oh, wow. wow. Controversial. Yeah. Hot take. And then Whitney Buehler said, the winner has got to be the posies. <laughs> I, I, I Cage match. I got to say, I'm kind of shocked our patrons didn't pick that. They yeah. keep surprising us in, in good ways. Well, then Ian Wobble said the Clouds Penny Century is nothing more than a collection of beautifully crafted and original and unique music that deserves to be looked at. And then uh, Darren Leach said the Clouds for me was a great period for Aussie alternative rock when that meant something. So the Clouds got mentioned. Posies got mentioned positively and negatively. Retention Pond Honeys. We just reviewed their uh Elm Selection Prick said, I'm sure the talk around Verbena will include the talk about Dave Grohl and comparisons to Nirvana. They made an album before and after that are worth the time to really see the scope of the band. This band, this is a band that deserved better, and this record far outshines its time. Also, check out the follow up La Musica Negra, a worthy compendium. What they lost in Anne Marie Griffith, they made up for in refocusing the songwriting craft. And then uh, who who did I miss? Who who chimed in, but I, I missed. Oh, Crawford Blair. He said, wow, this is deep in some backwaters 90 voodoo this time around, which I totally approve. He said, part of the joy of Dig Me Out is getting to know unheard records, and I only know two of these. Yes, that is part of the joy for us as well when we get to check out records we're not familiar with. And then Patrick Testa said, lifter is harder to search than James. Odd but true. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that, yeah. Just wait till we get a lot to a live record. I think that's everybody. I think we that's everybody chimed in on that one. So, Jay, I'm mm-hmm. gonna do just briefly so that everybody's aware who who maybe is not a, a Verbena super fan. They are from Birmingham, Alabama. The primary members of the band, Scott Bondi on vocals and guitar. Uh they had some sort of lineup changes at the beginning. Uh, and at one point, Mickey Welsh, who played in Weezer, was a part of the band. Uh, but for this particular record, it's a three-piece. Scott Bonney on vocals and guitar, Anne-Marie Griffin on bass guitar and vocals, and Les Newby on drums. It was produced by Dave Grohl. came out July of 1999. So we saw them literally the month after this came out. Let's get into it. Let's, Let's talk do about it. the record. Tell me one thing that you liked about Into the Pink by Verbena? Well, when the two singers do their thing together, it's pretty magical. I think mm-hmm. it's very strong and melodically very interesting and compelling. They can, dig, they can do a lot of different things uh, when you've got the two vocals going. So you've got some nice harmonies. You've got some nice call and response, good textures. But it's all over you know, a very aggressive rock sound which is always good so you've got the mm-hmm. her, her kind of sweeter delicate voice uh on his kind of nasally growl Yeah. 
So that's just a good combination. I do appreciate the the format of the band on this record, at least in concept too. For the most part, they stick to that three piece. There are some overdubs here, obviously, with um, a second guitar at times, but they stick mostly true to it. Yeah. Um, and that puts a lot of emphasis on the vocals. So when the because um, there's a lot of space for them, the way it's produced, um, it's loud. It can get loud and dynamic, but uh, they do a great job mixing the record so that the vocals have always got a spot, even when it's two of them singing. Um, so when those two are in sync in terms of the song and have their parts worked out and um, basically when she shows up, you know, she's not on a, all the record. I'd say she's on maybe a quarter or, right. or, or a little bit more. That's where I think it really elevates to something unique and special. And I'll agree with you. I think that sets it apart and that's where it sheds a bit of the Nirvana comparison because obviously that was not a part of their Nirvana setup and it really creates an interesting dynamic that apparently was used more on the first record. Uh, I did not listen to it prior to uh, checking out this one. I'm hoping to after we listen to this. Well, somebody needs to suggest it. Yeah, somebody maybe can go in and do that, and we'll put it into a poll and see what happens. And I think also what I, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the production. It's, I, I like the way this record sounds. Yeah. Um, I listened to it on, you know, my headphones, and it is a well-produced record. Dave Grohl did a good job. Whether you want to argue he directed them, you know, intentionally or not, too closely to sounding like Nirvana. Uh, you know, you can we can get into that. But the fact of the matter is, like, I, I really like the bass tone on a lot of this record. It chugs along really nicely. It carries some of the songs, uh, like Baby Got Shot. And he also, and I'm, you know, I'm sure this was the band, but there are some very subtle production things that happen and, and musical choices, like the introduction of like a single piano hit uh, yeah. on one of the songs. It just adds a little bit of texture that's really cool. John Beverly you're talking about. Yeah. It, it makes that chorus. Like, I think that's the best chorus on this record. And it's, um, I think it's a piano and there might be a guitar doubling it too, but it creates this, this counter to the tip, you know, the typical kind of shouty hard rock chorus and it becomes something totally different. So then you've got those vocals going on and then all of a sudden you've got this dynamic that's in the space it's created just by having that one note in there. It's, it's. It's uh, something I wish they did more on the record.
when I read your quote, the Pitchfork quote, and thinking about when this came out in 99, it made me think back to, okay, well, what was what was going on that rock and roll needed to be saved? And I guess if you were thinking of it in terms of like, all right, we've just gone through or the, the start and we're, we're, we're actually in the middle of back in 99, like the new metal stuff. And we're also dealing with the rise in 97 and 98 of pop, of manufactured pop music with, you know, the Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears and that sort of thing. I guess there might be some sentiment back then that rock music as a uh, radio friendly entity is is dying out. And in terms of uh, a band like this needing to save it. Now, it's funny when we look back now and realize, well, it was going to take another year or two. And then it was, you know, you can argue if it was saved or not. But it was you're going to have the bands like the Strokes and the White Stripes, yeah. uh, you know, and now the Black Keys. And, and those bands were going to come along and continue uh, the sound. And then, you know, we got mentioned in the comments, bands like the Vines and Jet. We're doing this sort of garagey alternative uh, grunge thing. And there was even yeah. like a grunge revival, essentially, in the 2000s with bands like Yuck and and some other ones mm-hmm. that it, it is a weird sort of time period for this album to be released because it's so close to Nirvana that Dave Grohl being involved pretty much makes it inescapable for the band to be compared to nirvana yeah i god i don't know this is one of those where yes i hear it but i also hear a lot of other bands like you said at the time like i hear the von bondies and i hear the vines and i hear all that you just mentioned as we were transitioning into what was going to be you know the where the you know white stripes and um uh, those bands, the hives and all those bands broke out and really yeah. separated themselves with a new sound. You had this middle period where we, we were headed there. We didn't know it yet. Um, and you had this, yeah, grungy kind of return back to simplicity, but I can't help but wonder how much our opinion of this record is clouded by how heavily it was marketed that way. I mean, I barely knew anything about the band. And one of the few things I did know at the time was that one, I kept seeing their posters everywhere and every article I read talked about them being the next Nirvana. Right. I'm like, where did that come from? You know, like somebody, somebody in the, in the business side of it planted that seed either because they said, well, they sound like Nirvana, so let's just embrace it. Or, uh, he looks like Kurt Cobain. So let's go with that. Like somebody made that decision for whatever reason it is. And then that is what led. So then you, as you listen to it, you can't, but yeah, you hear some similarities here and there, but then you're almost looking for it at that point. Cause you're like, Oh, well they said they sound like Nirvana. So I guess right. I'm going to go find all the Nirvana comparisons. Whereas if you didn't hear that. Yeah. You would hear some similarities here, but I think you would hear some other things that are more unique and just right. of the time. So, well, and what's weird is that if you actually go back and listen to Nirvana, the stuff that was really popular yeah. Is does not sound like this. Yeah. Like rate me yep. and heart-shaped box and come as you are and in bloom don't yep. sound like this. Like if you were to compare this to Nirvana, like take us on like Monkey I'm Your Man, which I yep. really like. That sounds like Bleach era Nirvana, which was not popular. Right. I mean, they they got some buzz. It helped get them signed 
to a major label, but it wasn't like that sold 3 million copies. It got them on the map regionally and they toured and did that kind of stuff. But if they had just ended with that album, it would be a nice document and it would be an interesting, but I don't think anybody would think it was like groundbreaking. But that, I mean, but yeah, I mean, you just hit it in terms of the, you're going back to a Nirvana era where, you know, Nirvana didn't at, in that time. Yes. They had somewhat of unique sound, but you know, they also sounded a lot like a lot of the other bands Right. Um, from Seattle at that time. You know? I'm just so, saying like the popular Nirvana was actually kind of dirgy. And like a yes. lot of those songs were were not up-tempo in the way that this band is up-tempo. Yes, I agree. And I think a lot, some of this stuff, like, say a song like Oh My, um, if you slowed that down, it would be a Fu Manchu song. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's also in that vein. It's also in that Queens of the Stone Age kind of desert rock, fuzzy aesthetic. They're just playing faster, you know. So if you slowed some of this stuff down and put more, just a little bit more of a groove to it, which is Dave Grohl's attached to that scene as well, right? I think right. you're... You could very well have like a Fu Manchu style fuzzy stoner rock band. Yo, yeah, Bang Bang and Sympathy Was Dead are in that vein as well, right. too. Um, yeah. So I heard some things like that as well, which I don't think uh, – once you say Nirvana, it's like, well, I can't get past that. Um, but if you don't tell me that, I don't know. I just tried to go into this as being as open-minded as I possibly could. You know, I heard things like Little Snark, like in Pretty Please um, – you know, there's little parts of that, uh, the chorus that reminded me more of like a, like a British band, like a Supergrass, you know, a snarky kind of punky attitude that you heard, um, you know, in the early nineties and, and mid nineties. Mm-hmm. So I, I heard a lot of different things. Um, no, it's, it's really, I, I think the problem with the Nirvana and the Kirk Cobain comparison is in, in the single baby got shot, which they obviously chose he yeah. has a few like minor vocal ticks that yeah. sound like Kurt Cobain. Yep. But that's really the like yes, he's in the same like nasally kind of range for the album, but I mean a lot of people are. But in just in terms of like there's a few things in that song which have, then of course you choose that as the single. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. not yeah. and not these other songs where he's doing like you said other sort of interesting vocal things. Well then it's going to imprint in people like oh this is the Nirvana well, you know, I'm going to get on a soapbox for a second here. <laughs> uh, Go ahead. Because this, this kind of drives me nuts, and I think it's one of the reasons why it certainly doesn't help rock and roll reassert itself um, in any sort of substantial way, in that the fans are constantly tearing it down. Like, we are self-defeating. So we there, there's this, this want to, like, generalize everything into basically, like, four bands. You're either Nirvana, Led Zeppelin... Sex Pistols or uh, Pink Floyd. <laughs> like, and if you sound too close to any one of those bands, you're just like completely discounted. 
you know. So right. I'm like going through it right now with this with Greta Van Fleet, which I think is like a, ser- a, a very important band. Like in terms of, it's one of the only bands right now. I can probably name three bands that people under forty actually give a shit about, and it's four kids who really play without any backing tracks, nothing. It's four kids who just love rock and roll and just play their asses off. And because people think they sound like Led Zeppelin, we can't get past that. It's like, I, I, I don't care if they sound like Led Zeppelin. Do they sound good? Do you enjoy listening to them? Mm-hmm. Like, does their music move you in any way? Is it fun? Does it make you smile? Does it make you feel anything? If yes, who cares if they sound like Led Zeppelin? I could give a shit. Like, give me 18 more Led Zeppelins if they're good. You know, if it's, if it's, if it's, um, trite and obviously calculated and formulaic and you know not genuine yeah then okay well we don't need a bunch of more bands like that but and so to me this band sort of falls in that category of unless they were trying you know and this wasn't gen genuine in any way um i just think it's not fair to rate them off as well they're just not on it well guess what the beatles kind of did everything so you could kind of say like everybody's ripping off the beatles because they basically did one song of every genre that's popular in rock music. So except for maybe metal, like, like black. <laughs> well, I don't know. Helter Skelter's Helter Skelter's pretty heavy, man. I I get that. <laughs> I'm just saying, like they created the, yeah. the proto version of almost every genre of rock and roll. Right. Like they have a song that you could say started the idea of almost everything. Right. So if we're gonna play that game, it's like, well, then why listen to anybody but the Beatles? Because they're the only band that's truly original. Everybody else is just ripping them off. Even though a bunch of their early hits were all cover songs of American black and R&B artists. But <laughs> it's just like, man, just like the music or don't. If you don't like it, it's fine. You don't have to like completely discount it and throw it out the window because you hear some similarities with other bands. I mean, that's just – it's not about that. So anyway, um, I, I think this is one of those records where if you go into it forgetting about the Nirvana bullshit, you can hear some things that are that are pretty cool. This album is not – rock salad from top to bottom but you know i hear as much iggy pop in the way he sings as i heard kurt cobain yeah i do want to address though the there was a mention in the comments about the opening track i do think that that's an odd choice i think if you're going to do that you could do you have to make it like 30 seconds yeah as like an intro track but otherwise, you need to move that track to like make it track three or four or something like that, where you want to like, OK, we're going to take a break for a sec and cool it down for a minute. We're going to play a little piano song and then we're going to move on. But to open that with a full like just completely different song from what the rest of the record is, is is just an, a not a great choice for me. I agree. I think it would have been cool, I guess, if it came back into the record in a way. Or yeah, or you make, um, make it in some sort of a yeah recurring, yeah, like make the piano thematic, like have it appear in more songs, and maybe have another little piano interlude or or some other a way to tie that it they up. Return to yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It just sounds like a a song, extra song they tacked on to the front of the record, which is an odd place to put an extra song. <laughs> yeah, it is a weird place because you know you could totally start the album with Into the Pink. Like that sounds like a a good starting yeah, song yeah. for the record, and it, I don't know if they like were if the record label was like, man, 
we want to ease the people in. I don't I, like. I don't know what the decision making was if the band want like wanted to do that, but it just it is an odd spot for that song. So, whereas on the back end, Big Skies and Black Rainbows, that's perfectly fine. End the song like or end the record like that. I'm I'm fine with that. But at 13 songs, it is a little long in the length. Look, you know, wise, it's 39 yep. minutes. Well, it's basically 40 minutes. It could be a little bit shorter. Yeah, well, I mean, let's get into the what didn't work, Um, because I'm not saying this record is um, is perfect in any way. No, Um, no. um, I I, I think the record starts off strong. Even the piano ballad at least intrigued me in terms of uh, not necessarily being what I would expect um, going into the record. So it kept my interest from that standpoint. Um, I think the first six tracks are real strong. Um, I think. John Beverly and Pretty Please show, you know, from a pop standpoint what this band can do. But I think the second half of the record feels very formulaic. I I think it feels much less inspired. A song like Prick Prick the Sun has a lot of potential. Um, You can kind of hear like poking through maybe the southern roots of this band. And that's an opportunity to me where like, you could bring in a piano or a slide guitar or something else. Oh yeah. Like a really dirty slide guitar would have sounded awesome on that song. Right. And because of the, I do like the format of the band, but they're some, you know, constraints can make great, um, can inspire great creativity. They can also, um, well restrain you. So, uh, I think in this case, they, they kind of run out of steam with the formula for this record to me by track seven and the rest of the record. Mm-hmm. It's just struggling because the songwriting is not strong enough. So you're struggling sonically to elevate some of these songs and make them distinctive and original. The only other song that stands out a little bit with is uh, sympathy was dead. Yeah. Um, I think is a decent track but i think the second half of the record is is pretty uh forgettable yeah like depression is a fashion is could have just been a b-side like it's a perfectly fine song it's under two minutes it's completely unmemorable it's just this you know punk rock sort of thing and it's fine but it has no personality within the context of what this band is doing like you mentioned in the first half of the record so that could have easily been trimmed and there are a couple of songs like that that are just like they're fine. Like submissionary is fine. It has this like two chord kind of riff thing. Yeah, that's, that's okay, but it's not anything that's like revelatory. So you, you got to bring this a, a lot. If you're gonna shorter. be that simple. You gotta you gotta have a killer hook, right? I mean, yes. if you're gonna go that route and just bash drums and have simple two chord songs, you better go. You know. Play, uh, look at the Ramones playbook and, and figure out how to write a melody and a hook. Speaking of, um, I don't. If you're the drummer in this band, like how nerve wracking is it that Dave Grohl is producing you? <laughs> you know he's a humongous, you know, drum god. He just after you know getting William Goldsmith from the Foo Fighter or for, from Sony Real Estate, like kicks him out of the band. And records well, all the drums on the color and the shape. How do we know this isn't Dave Grohl playing drums? Well, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, there's because some... I, I mean, the the playing does sound 
vintage Dave Roll. Like not Foo Fighters Dave Roll, but when uh, you know Nirvana. Yeah. Like late Nirvana era Dave Roll. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned it with regards to uh, you know some of those songs that had like a Fu Manchu, Queens of the Stone Age ish, you know, desert rock vibe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, there was definitely some like touch tones of. I don't even know how to describe it because all I know is I can hear it. But I don't, yeah. know, I don't. I mean, I'm sure from a technical standpoint, there are things that he's doing that are like very specific. But I just hear like the way he does things, and I'm like, oh, that kind of sounds like Dave Grohl. Like it's, yeah. I don't know if it's like his heavy foot because he kind of has like a bottom. Yeah, yeah. Foot. The, the the kick. It's very kick drum heavy record, um, which is always a good thing. A full on on the on the um, on the crash cymbals. You know, it's. You know, most of that Nirvana stuff is not subtle, um, which is pretty much the case here. You know, it's it's bashing all the time right. um, with a lot with a lot of foot. Um, it could very well be, you know, whoever the drummer is, but um, it wouldn't surprise me based on what, you know, the, the, the history, the context that you just gave there, you know, kicked his own drummer out of his band. And uh, I think Taylor Hawkins even had a hard time actually making it on the records uh, for a while. So, right it wouldn't surprise me of him coming into this band if he truly, even, I don't even know. I'd be curious to see like how active he was as a producer too. You know, sometimes producer is open to interpretation and everybody has a different style. So it can mean he's sitting in there every day working on all the songs and really, you know, active or it could have been a situation where, you know, they're sending tapes to him and he's giving him feedback. So I don't know the story on that. You know, I don't know. I, I was trying to figure out like, I know he's done a lot of collaborations, but in terms of production, I don't think he's actually done that much. Yeah. Uh, he, he he did. Um, he's, he's credited with producing the first Foo Fighters record because it was mostly recorded at home. Um, he did a couple Rye Coalition albums in the 2000s. And then um, he actually is credited with a Ghost album. Yeah, he did an EP, which um, EP. it's where he played drums on that. Of course, and then he did a a Zach Brown band EP called the D- the Grohl Sessions. So he actually hasn't done that much in terms of production, which I find interesting because this is actually this sounds pretty good. You would have thought. I mean, maybe just he doesn't have the time, and maybe he's not interested in yep. doing additional production. You know, Foo Fighters stay pretty busy in terms of both recording and touring, and then you know making TV shows and documentaries and all the stuff that he's doing outside of the band. Yeah. Even, um, unfortunately the only way we could listen to this is through the, uh, YouTube. All right. I use the YouTube playlist. I don't know what you, is that what you used as well? Uh, no. Okay. I found another way to listen to it. Okay. I, uh, I listened to the YouTube versions and even those sound pretty damn good. Like, right. It's one of those records where, yeah, everything's fuzzed out, but, um, doesn't strain you to listen to it like you can crank it and everything is clear and has its own space and it's not muddy sounding and right some of these records you know they get fuzzy and the guitars get just a little too loud and you're just feet fatigued you know after 13 tracks you just yep. gotta take a break and this was a record where despite all that noise um still felt like powerful and it wasn't draining in any way or annoying so that's 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 production and then just really great engineering. This did not become the next Nirvana J. They did <sighs> not save rock and roll at this time. 
Oh my god. Some other bands apparently <laughs> did because rock and roll so, still exists. One of the comments we got from Ryan Landy's on Facebook to that quote I put from Pitchfork was I don't understand whoever said Verbena revived rock. I said I don't know either but I think they were probably just trying to make a just pick up a rock record they liked. I don't think they were trying to right save rock and roll or anything. So now that we've revisited this how are we how are we rating it? Were the album better EP or decent single? I'm curious. I, I know what you said, but where where is that falling for you? I'm in an EP. I actually would keep I would keep the piano song, uh, maybe move it to the end of the EP, um, and then I go straight uh, tracks two through uh, five, maybe six. Into the Pink, Baby Got Shot, John Beverly, pretty pleased for sure. And then I'd either make the call on Keep Monkey, <clears throat> I'm Your Man In, or end with uh, Lovely Isn't Love. See, I would go two through seven, so that gives me six songs. And then I would keep Bang Bang and Sympathy Was Dead, so it gives me eight. Oh, so you're I close. Like, I think that's an album. You're at a 70s album. I'm at a 70s album. I'm at about. So that's the other thing, too. We, you know, you. I think you touched on it, but this record's too long. Yeah. You know, this is a. If you're trying to make, you know, to me, it, this comes off way more like the Stooges if it's 40 minutes or 35 minutes and less like, you know, Nirvana's sixth album right. <laughs> when it's. 13 songs. Right. And if I'm doing it that way, then I can end side A of the record with Lovely Isn't Love and I've got a nine song record. Yep. You know what I mean? I got five songs on the yep. first side and four on the, or I, or I open the second side with that record. I just don't think it should open the album. So I could probably do nine songs. Yeah. Have a solid 70s record. But yeah, I just don't, I, there's too much dead weight on the back half and it's not sequenced the way I would like it to be. So. Uh, EP for you, an album for me. We're pretty close on that. Only a couple songs separate us, so uh, no major disagreement there. And we need to thank our Patreon folks who all weighed in with their comments over at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. And thanks to all the folks who made the suggestions. Uh, Jay, who what, do you remember who it was who actually suggested this record? Uh, the name of the suggester is Andrew O.C. Ah, one of our Patreon folks. There you go. How convenient. He got a free pick. He did. So, Andrew, there you go. We, uh, we took your suggestion and, uh, we rubbed a little dig me out funk on it. And now it's part of our, our catalog that people can check out. Our, our, our archive of rescuing poorly reviewed records from the nineties and uh, applying what we think is a, a little bit more in-depth and uh, thoughtful commentary to the record. Just try to bring some context to it. Be yeah. fair. Like Andrew, like all the other folks, you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com and you can enter a suggestion into our uh, suggestion computer tabulator and uh, leave some comments for why you're picking the record, and we will add it to an upcoming poll, which uh, right now, if you do that, it would probably get, be added to a poll in 2019 based on the number of suggestions we have. So uh, keep that in mind. 
but we'll be doing uh, nine every month. And then, and if you, you know, throw one in, maybe we'll pick it down the road. Also, not a bad thing to remind people, iTunes. If you like what you heard, go over there and yes. leave us some positive feedback because we greatly appreciate it. Helps with our iTunes rankings and, you know, that kind of stuff. So Super easy way to support the show. Yep. Doesn't cost a penny. Just click the... Click the via with five stars. Yeah, five stars is nice. <laughs> if you're feeling generous. So, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash Dig Me Out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. That's your-